And they said, we love what you're doing. We love your independence, your happiness, your brightness, your floral, and your sustainable. Would you do something with us? First of all, I was blown away and had to pick myself up off the floor. Hello, and welcome to this special episode of Shopify Masters, the podcast brought to you by Shopify, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm Schwang Esther Shan. And I want to know what makes up your signature scent. Are there hints of citrus, notes of sandalwood, or maybe vanilla? If we ask Michelle Feeney, her signature is filled with strong notes of entrepreneurship, both within established beauty companies and then the starting of her own. Michelle is responsible for catapulting brands like Creme de la Mer, MAC, and Saint-Tropez to cult favorite status. In 2017, she started her own vegan, cruelty-free, and sustainable fragrance brand, Floral Street. Michelle is here with me today to chat about building Floral Street from scratch, self-funding this multi-million dollar business, and bringing these signature scents into retailers like Sephora and Nordstrom. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Oh, thank you so much. Welcome to London. Welcome to Floral Street. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to chat with you because... I know that you had an extensive career in the beauty industry. We mentioned brands like MAC, Creme de la Mer, Saint-Tropez. Can you tell us some of the career highlights and the pivotal moments that really defined your career path? Well, you know, I'm up there in years now. <laughs> um, and and during, I mean, I, I say I've had this incredible experience in the beauty industry for over 30 years. Um, But I I started in London in the 80s in fashion show production, fashion and beauty PR, when PR was kind of a new thing. And London Fashion Week was only actually launched in the early 80s. So it was a tremendous time of lots of females being empowered to build their own businesses and and do things differently. So I think I always had that at the heart of everything I've done um, since then. But beauty really has been my gateway to success and growth and learning. And it has provided me as a female with this incredible path that I could go on to, to rise to the top. So career highlights, there's, there's always highlights, I think, within your life in, in years. Some of them you've, you learn a lot from, and they're not that enjoyable. And others are so totally enjoyable and so where the world collides on, you know, the team. It's kind of always been down to no matter what brand I'm in or where I'm working or what I'm doing, it's really about the team and the team effort. And actually, I I say about rowing in the same direction. You know, I've been in, in some brands and in some positions within my life where not everybody was rowing in the same way down the river. And that's just, it never works really. So I think my huge career highlight was probably seven years of working in the senior management team at Mac Cosmetics when it went from being a a relatively small indie brand to we took it and we globalized it and we carried on with its beautiful ethics. And, you know, I was able to marry giving back with beauty industry and success. Um, You know, working with the MacAids Fund, I was able to, you know, present a check to Kofi Annan uh, or be part of the team, you know, that presented the check to Kofi Annan actually at the United Nations. And I could see how your entrepreneurship, your business building 
can contribute in a huge way to society. It was it was really the first brand that was all ages, all races, all sexes. And that another this inclusivity, that was a huge highlight. Um, a lot of work and traveling, you know, I, I, la- I was part of launching 40 countries. I think also another highlight for me was working with the founder of Bumble and Bumble in the early 90s. There was not a product line. Um, I liken that really to being sort of founder and entrepreneurial led. So I was in a a company, but it it hadn't become a product company. So we had to learn from scratch how to take, you know, develop the products and then launch them pre-internet, pre-anything like that. So I think there's been highlights within every aspect of what what I've done, really. When we think about Mac and the Viva La Glam campaigns, they are so iconic. And even with Bumble and Bumble, they really kind of introduced the hair category to so many. So I think you've left your mark in different aspects of beauty, also both in London and New York. So what made you wanting to enter entrepreneurship and start Floral Street? Well, gosh, Swang, um, you know, um, I think I'm crazy, basically, everyone. But um, I, you know, I had the idea. I'd built lots of brands on my entrepreneurship. There's, you know, I was in a company, but I was entrepreneurial. When I first interviewed to go into Estee Lauder companies in the 90s and take a big executive job there, I'd never been in a big corporation And Leonard Lauder said, you know, we want you for your entrepreneurship, but we want it inside our company, which I thought was a really smart move because they were starting to acquire brands and and you need to segue that brand into a bigger organization. But I'd always been using my ideas and it served me well and served the other companies well. And I had this idea for Floral Street being a fragrance brand. And I sort of thought, if not now, when, you know, and if not me, you know, am I going to be standing on the sidelines going, I wished I would have done that. So, you know, I was in my early 50s when I launched this brand. And I just thought I've got to pour all my experience into something and I've got to give it a go. And it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Actually opening the door of your own shop and pressing the button to start your own website that was far more scary than anything I had done, crazy as that seems. But I'd invested, what I'd realised, I'd invested so much of myself and so many years into building these other brands that I thought I've got to do it for myself. I've got to try. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult. Um, I'm not going to lie about that, especially having lived through two years of covid but when you do get the rewards and people write a great review and they call you and say, you've really made my day, those rewards are as big as a big campaign. I know I know that sounds crazy, but when somebody I meet, I've just been traveling in Australia and, and doing uh, customer events. And when somebody says, comes to you and says, you should be so proud of yourself and you make me feel great. That to me now is the massive, massive reward of being an entrepreneur and starting your own business. So I've had to do a lot of head adjustment as to the great moments. You know, it's not the big glamorous party. It's not the the multi-launch with the celebrity. It's actually very true to one customer loving you. And at the beginning, I had to adjust to that. It's one consumer at a time loving you. So no matter how much 
you know, you can do on TikTok and all these things. If you're building an actual brand stroke business with longevity, it's no good having like a one hit wonder. You, you've got to keep that consistency. People have got to feel they love you and want to invest in you. It's that continuous commitment to your brand. And I do want to zoom in on what you mentioned about building your brand as being so tough and the contrast of being an entrepreneur. Because when you were at big companies, they had infrastructure set out and now you have to build it all from scratch. So tell us about those challenges that you face in the early days. Well, I'm still facing them. I mean, anybody out there listening to this that might be thinking about doing your own business, it never ends. So if you think you can start, close the door, turn the lights off at 10 o'clock and it's it's going to stop, it doesn't. Because if you're building a successful business, it keeps evolving and changing. I do this sort of analogy that um, when you're in a bigger organization, if you're at the head of that organization, you have maybe 10 people under you that take a lot of pressure from you. So the decisions you're making at that top of that triangle, if you like, you know, you've got 10 people feeding in their expertise. That's inverted when you're an entrepreneur because you're at the bottom holding everybody up, you know, and 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 pushing the business along and also pushing the people in the business along because you want them to grow and learn. Well, most startups, you can't necessarily say, I want 10 people to head up each department in, in my organization. It wouldn't be a valid financial commitment and it also wouldn't work really because you have to learn along the way it's being everything to everybody as an entrepreneur and a founder of a business and you have to that takes a lot of energy and a lot of strength and then as you grow like we're, we're almost five years old and I've got the most amazing team from startup you know young startup people starting their career through to other individuals that have in you know come into Floral Street because they love the brand and, you know, you build that team and it starts to get easier as you get more information. How did you approach educating your customers initially? Because so much of Floral Street is about the ingredients, the fact that you guys are vegan and cruelty-free, something that people didn't even realize that fragrances weren't all vegan. So how did you approach that? It took about a year to come up to actually make the products. I sort of sat back and looked at what I was creating from a customer viewpoint. And one of the challenges of fragrance was how do I gain an online customer from the gecko? It's, it's all very well if you're Tom Ford or Gucci or some other big company that can afford to, you know, you, you might know that name and you might trust that they, they come up with a nice fragrance and you might want to try it. I thought, I want to educate the consumer. Nobody was educating the consumer on fragrance and what they were smelling. Really quite old-fashioned, actually, five years ago. Nobody was telling the ingredient story. And because we're a sustainable, stroke clean brand, I wanted to say, you know, that vanilla comes from this particular family, Madagascar, they're being looked after. You know, um, that rose is harvested um, in Turkey and we know where it comes from. So I came up with this idea of scent school and it was really, I took a lot of ideas from the food industry and from wine tasting. You know where your coffee comes from, you know, it might be sustainably sourced, uh, chocolate, all these things that other companies and really small independents had started doing that. So I took a leaf out of their book 
So we created um, Sense School, which happens in a in the store initially, and then I put it Sense School in a box. So you can pay for Sense School in a box. You can log on and do a Sense School with scratch and sniff cards, and we'll teach you about those ingredients, where they come from, and really demystify. You know, fragrance it isn't. It's a complex art and science combined, which is exciting, but. We don't use advertising. We don't use the word sex at all in the whole brand, sex or sexy, because I'm not saying to people, don't feel that emotion, don't you know, enjoy that. I just think it's not a brand's position to sell itself purely on that. So I'd, I'd noticed that a lot of the, the fragrance industry really was about that. I wanted Floral Street to be different. So that entailed being creative about how we explain the moods, linking it to, you know, how you might feel, what you might be wearing, all those kind of things to create this moment in fragrance and really giving the individual permission to experiment, to surprise themselves and and to learn. It's, you know, it's really important to learn what you're smelling so you know what you like. We won you know, Fragrance Foundation Award for Innovation, beating out some of the major brands here in the UK for Scent School. Teams that we train in the Sephora's and Nordstrom, we give them a Scent School and they love that because they're learning. So it's about just teaching people about our methodology to learning what you're smelling and customers love it. And now, thank goodness, we're, we're back out into bricks and mortar and stores as well, where, you know, we can host events again. But the online thing has really worked for us. I love that because I think it also allowed you to stand out because everyone was kind of relying on this cliche of sex cells. I want to ask about how did you brainstorm and how did you plan out your brand thesis? Just because I feel like it is so well thought out. And to your point, when I was in your store in London, I felt like it was just a seamless process. And I did get a feel where I feel like I've experienced something like this before, like similar to a wine tasting or something like that, but it felt just seamless and something that I've known all my life, but yet you were teaching me something new. So how did you approach that branding exercise and what did you do to make sure that it did seem so seamless for the customer? Oh, thank you. That is so lovely to hear you had that experience. I always think things completely through from start to finish. I probably drive my team absolutely mental, you know, about this because I am, have we thought it completely through? First of all, I didn't create the fragrances or the brand for me. Sometimes entrepreneurs will create a business because it's their love and their passion. And don't get me wrong, beauty is my passion and and fragrance is a passion within that. But what I mean is I didn't go, it has to be a fragrance I love. So first of all, I wanted to give choice. So we came up with eight fragrances. Um, I created mood boards and then I took those mood boards to the perfumer, who's one of the best noses in the world. And I said, these are my mood boards And I'd like fragrances to match with these mood muses. So they weren't a person, they were a feeling with with words attached to them. And he created the fragrances and I had to choose those. And then we create the visual on the bottle. 
So everything is a step at a time. And I wanted to match the flowers and the visual with our words and what we're thinking. And then another thing, you know, what I learned from being within MAC Cosmetics was MAC changed the face of being a makeup artist. There wasn't a tool belt in a store before MAC. They were all trained makeup artists that were within a store. That was not the case before MAC in the 90s. It was the salesperson. And I thought, why don't we approach our you know, the people that work for us in stores the same way. So we call them floralistas. I got them trained in fine fragrance. You know, we wear this beautiful floral apron. And then the store, which you have been in, became how do we tell the story physically, which helped us when we go into a Sephora or a Nordstrom or a John Lewis. You know, we can tell our story with words and visuals It's not just about the good idea in your head. It's about thinking about that entire journey of the user journey, the customer journey, taking yourself out of being the creator, stepping back and thinking, okay, if I go in, step into the store, what am I going to see? What am I going to experience? I think my advice to anybody that wants to start a business or is really, truly think it through beyond the fantastic idea how are you going to realize that? What's it going to take? And commitment for a longer term relationship with your own idea and your own company. It doesn't happen overnight. Don't take on too, too much if you can't really see it through well. You have to do that a bit at the beginning because you're, you're paving the way, you know. And partnerships, you know, we talked about Shopify. Where would we be without Shopify? You know, Shopify enabled us to open a a web door, you know, open the store, gives us information. Shopify for us is like another team member of our team that's helping us, you know, build our business. Our nose and Robote, our, our fragrance house, they help us, guide us what might be on trend. An entrepreneur, you have to have like great partners to help you along the way. You can't do it on your own. And I think another aspect of making a happen, executing on the ideas is the financial side. And what's amazing about your story is it's all bootstrapped. So how did you even tackle the financial side? And where were some really critical areas that you invested early that has really paid off? Okay, I probably, um, you know, have overinvested in some ways. I've had to learn along the way. Again, this is me with 30 odd years experience telling you this, you know, I mean, it's all been a learning. Uh, My husband has got quite a successful business and we decided to fund this ourselves. And the reason being, I had private equity funding with Saint-Tropez and it's fantastic and can be extremely useful, but it's another job. So the more partners you have, the more people you've got money invested, the more you have to split the more work you have to put into reporting and the more opinions you have to deal with about what you're doing. And I think at the beginning of a business, you need to be a little bit freer to make some mistakes and learn along the way. So so yes, I put money in. I invested in that store because I thought it would be the window on the world, which it has proved to be. But then COVID hit And after only one year of us being in business, and that store has a high cost against it and the people against it as well. So it's just one of the toughest things ever I've had to deal with in my life, really, career. 
um, to to sort of fix that. Um, and I've really invested in product. If your product disappoints, you don't have a business. And especially in the beauty industry, you know, there's a gazillion products out there. So I really, I've got the best nose in the world. We work with the best suppliers. We have the best ingredients. Our packaging, I invested hugely in our sustainable pulp packaging because I wanted to stand up and say we're setting the tone for the fragrance industry to make a change about its packaging. Because again, you you look at the world of fragrance, those odd top, you know, odd lids they put on fragrance, they're just landfill. There's so much of the industry that is landfill, the packaging, the cello wrap. And I wanted to do things really, really differently. So I would say I've invested in product, packaging, and people. You know, I couldn't really afford the caliber of people I've got working, you know, some of the people that work for me in, in that way. But I haven't necessarily taken a salary, but I've I've maintained, you know, putting that money into, into people, product, and packaging. And we haven't done the big advertising. We've had to learn along the way to, to, to shout a bit louder and create things that are going to make change. We're working with um, a charity that collects used coffee cups like um, from Starbucks and Costa Coffee here and other companies. And they strip out the plastic from those and that gets used for energy and the pulp then goes into our pulp to make our boxes. So we've got one recycled coffee cup in every box. So, you know, although we're five years old and we're doing pulp, that has even evolved to be a better solution for the planet, you know. So, again, it's keeping evolving, keeping changing. And then now I need to invest in, you know, an TikTok and Things like that, that, you know, are, are it's where people are, whether I like it, dislike it, or, you know, you have to also look as an entrepreneur, where are people shopping? You know, where do I need to be for people to see me? That's been one of the biggest challenges, I think. I'm chatting with Michelle Feeney, the founder and CEO of Floor Street, the multi-million fragrance brand that's vegan and sustainable. So, Talking about the areas you want to invest in now, I do want to ask about what is the current marketing mix that Floral Street has? What are some areas you're advertising in and investing in? You'll hear this from most people, but it is ever evolving. That's one of the hardest things to do. Ever evolving, ever changing. But content, and we've got a team that creates the content now. Where we're putting investment is working with partners uh, we're also in anthropology in um, in the States and also in the UK. And we've found it's really good to partner with them and spend with them maybe because they already own the customer. So for a new brand starting from scratch, you have to build your customer base, but you can do it through fantastic partners and investing in their business and their outlets. So I think there's that going on. Um, in fragrance, it's a lot about sampling. So we spend the major proportion of our budget on creating samples that are sent out in online orders from our retailers and e-tailers. Just been chosen by TikTok to be one of the companies, you know, they partner with to help you. So look, I know Shopify do these kind of um, outreaches as well, but 
look to your partners and see what they're doing that could help you as an entrepreneur and get some guidance from that as well. So I think it's content sampling. And then again, me now traveling, working with our retailers to do appearances and things like that, really. So that that's our marketing mix. But that works for fragrance or, you know, is working. I think you've got to look at what you're selling. So for fragrance, it is, as my head of marketing says, you know, it's brand in hand. It's if you get that little beautiful sample and you put it on your skin and you love it, then that's the best way that you can tell the story of fragrance. Zooming in onto your mention about distributors and working with retail partners, how did you approach someone like Sephora or Nordstrom or Anthropology, and how do you prepare for one of those presentations and, yeah, just get yourself ready to be approaching one of those large retailers? I've had a lot of experience of working with big retailers around the world. I mean, at a different time, by the way, because, you know, things have moved on a lot. It's been a mix, really. It's been a mix of people coming to us and wanting us. Um, What was good about, if I take Sephora US as an example, I reached out to somebody in Canada who runs Canada Sephora, who I used to work with, and said, can I show you my brand? And she's like, yes, come. So I showed her the brand. So I got an audience with her. She loved the brand. And she said, you need to talk to the US as well. And I said, oh, my God, that scares me. You know, we're a startup. So but she introduced us to the US. We got on a plane and went to San Francisco and met with that team. I presented the brand. So again, be professional about what you're presenting. Don't just rock up with a few products and an idea. You have to tell your story in a pretty short period of time on a presentation. Have somebody else look at it, you know, that you trust to see if you're presenting what's right. They loved our sustainability and the fact that we're clean. And they real they were telling us that the North American consumer, that was getting more and more interesting to that consumer to be clean. And they were up waiting. But they said, look, let's give it a year for you to establish. They quoted it a little bit differently. They said, we we like to date. We like to date you for a year and, and then we'll revisit. And we dated. And then they said, look, we really do want to work with you, but we want you to be fully aware because don't forget they work with a lot of startups and indies, you know, to be fully aware that it's quite expensive to do business with us. That was one of the most helpful pieces of information because I was like, what's expensive? You know, we laid out really what we'd need to support that business. So the sampling, the trainings, the visual merchandising in store cost money. So I had to map out, you know, with my team what that might look like to make sure we could afford to do that and live up to their expectations. The other thing to be really careful of when you are getting, you know, interest from Um, distribution channels, what's the volume of product they're hoping to sell in a year? Because if you've got to produce that product, you've got to make sure you can afford to produce that product and that you have enough, you know, for instance, in in a fragrance, we've got bottles that we have to print. There's a long timeline on producing the product. So it's no good going, yay, you know, we've sold into Sephora and they've sold out of us. They won't bring you back again if they sell out and you can't replenish. 
So these are big questions you have to ask yourself as an entrepreneur, whether or not you can live up to success and you can fund that success. I was just going to ask that because I feel like it's a dream for so many founders to get a big contract with a retailer. But on the flip side is that their operations, their logistics might not be able to handle that. So how did you balance managing your finances and also scaling up when you did get one of those big contracts and now you have to scale up? It takes guts. It takes more investment than you actually think. Always. I've committed quite a lot, you know, and um, it's paying off now, five years in. You know, we're going into positivity. The commitment to numbers are, again, having great relationships with suppliers. And you have to work out even, you know, payment terms. When am I going to get paid from these big partners? If it's 60 or 90 days until they pay you, that's a hell of a chunk of time you've got to fund your business and growth. So it's a balancing act, really. Well, the most important person you can probably have, either in your company or as a partner, is a financial director and also sort of a supply chain person where you sit down and you say, how much is this all going to cost and can we do it? And partners will give you forecasts, you know, for how much products they think they're going to sell. So that means you can actually sort of work out what you're going to need. Have turned down some amazing distribution channels along the way because we wouldn't have been able to cope with that. You know, it was too soon to go into 300 doors all at once and supply product and give the content that they need and all that kind of thing. That's been one of the hardest things about being an entrepreneur and self-funding is you, you kind of have to go, I'm sorry, I know you want to give us all this distribution and success, but we we couldn't live up to that. We, we would let you down. I, I've never had to say that in my life before, but, you know, I don't want to fail a partner because you probably won't get another chance. In addition to retailers, partnership is a big part of Floral Street. You've partnered with a London hotel to make a signature drink, and also you've worked with the Van Gogh Museum to create a signature scent. So how did these partnerships come about and what opportunities did it bring for Floral Street? Okay, thank you. It's a really smart question. Partnerships are really key. I mean, you see all the collabs now that have uh, been going on with the big, big, you know, houses in fashion. I was the first brand to do that with designers and, you know, making palettes uh, in the 90s. So I worked with Alexander McQueen, you know, Luella Bartley, all sorts of really cool designers that we did these collabs with. Fashion was the thing to be associated with then. And that gave us a different audience, a different edge, something different. Collaborations I've done with, with Frawl Street have been amazing. We had the Van Gogh Museum approached us, who are based in Amsterdam, and they said, we love what you're doing. We love your independence, your happiness, your brightness, your floral, and your sustainable. Would you do something with us? And first of all, I was blown away and had to pick myself up off the floor but after that, I was like, I'm not sure we can pull this off. But my team were like, we have to do this. This is so important. And I got the opportunity to go to the Van Gogh Museum, another career highlight 
actually, to be honest, get a private tour. And they basically said, choose any painting you like and you can use that for your product. So we signed a deal with them and the museum is non-for-profit. So it means that the money they make off the sales of our products all goes into art, working with programs with kids. You know, so I liked the whole synergistic partnership. It wasn't just, let's put our name on this and wham, bam, that's fantastic. So there's this is a four-year agreement. We've created a fragrance. We've just launched new home products with them. I've chosen a... I chose Sunflowers as the first one, obviously, because it is the most recognisable. But again, with a partnership, can you live up to it? Can you deliver what they are expecting? Can you deal with... Um, sending your visuals to the museum and having six to 10 people look at it and say, no, that's not right. We need to do this. Partnerships take a tremendous amount of work. My team's worked so hard on this to bring, to deliver this. And of course, it's fantastic now and they're loving it. And to see all our products in the museum shop, it's like, wow, you know, hallelujah. So when you are independent, if you do get the partnership right, it's an amplification for you. So imagine how many millions of customers, of visitors are going to the Van Gogh Museum. Obviously, we've had lockdown, but it's one of the most visited museums in Europe. And it's helped us establish our name by being associated with Van Gogh. Um, We also did one with, uh, and that will go on, and that's going from strength to strength. And then we also had a collaboration with the Royal Horticultural Society in the UK, And they're the biggest royal gardening charity. And again, so synergistic, you know, our compostable packaging, you can plant seeds in it. You know, we got our nose to be inspired by the Heritage Rhubarb Collection. So to me, as you asked me, when you see the brand, it seems really thought through. We think through the partnerships. So it's not just, oh, can we attach their name to our brand and it looks good and it will make us some money. It's really got to work to the heart of what we're about and and the team have to feel it's right and that they want to be part of what we're doing. And it's it's just amazing to see that art, again, bringing art into beauty inspires so many people to create wonderful things on Instagram and send us. And the fragrance itself is amazingly happy. It's funny because I did have a question asking about how do you make the brand so consistent in different omni channels, but I feel like it's even beyond that, not just in your stores or retailers, but truly through all of the partnerships. And it's really amazing. So um, I know this is a tough one to tackle, but I think it's, yeah, how did you ensure that this consistency is the thread throughout every single part that you guys touch and all the places that you do appear in? I think it's um, it's been really strict. We're very clear about where we stand on things. The team, we're all very clear about why we're in existence and what the brand has to stand for. So we've actually turned down quite a few partnerships as well because they couldn't be authentic enough for us with the sustainability. This overused word, but I'm going to use it again, which is authenticity. You know, we're very authentic in everything we do and we want to do it to the best of our ability and deliver the what we call a 360 launch. 
So it's it's about that 360. Can we deliver in every little aspect of our company to you? Can we ensure you're going to have a sample of that product? Can our visual look the best it can be? Can, our, can we be as sustainable as we possibly can be with the limitations around us? Can we mesh it, message strongly enough? Can we get on with the part? Can we create a wonderful partnership with the the teams that we're, we're partnering with? You know, a, a very big public organisation such as the Van Gogh Museum. You know, they're very careful about how they use Van Gogh's work. You know, so I think it's that three sixty ticking every single box, asking yourself every single question conceivable before you step forward with a, with a project. And that's that's how we keep the brand consistent and not getting, this has been a biggest challenge for me, not getting this kind of, oh my God, they're doing that over there. Why aren't we doing this? Um, we haven't done that content. I drive myself a little bit crazy about this and some people around me, but to just slow down, step back, and be you, you know, in amongst all this as a brand. And just when you're a startup, when you're entrepreneurial, you cannot possibly, we, we can't possibly compete on a big level with some of the bigger brands. Where we can compete is with an authentic message, with a great, authentic, wonderful product, you know, with a good partnership that amplifies your story so see where you can can compete and compete well and shout a little loud. Really make sure that your messaging is is true to who you are, but also that is working within the framework of modern communication. And not to repeat you again, but I do get that sense of authenticity, not just in your store, but also corresponding and working with the team to arrange this. So I did want to round out the interview and ask you, how did you build your team from finding your nose and also the initial foundation members to make sure that um, it's a team that you want to work with and grow with? Wow. Although you've heard me talk about how, you know, you would think I'm a bit of a control freak on many ways about the way I run the business, but you know, be open to who comes through your door. And, you know, we started with two of us and then we became three. And then I started, you know, people started seeing the brand and friends of friends within the industry would say, oh, you know, I know this person, they're looking for a job. And then you you meet that person, they say, this is what I'm looking for. And the fact that our brand is doing it differently and is sustainable in this industry. A lot of the team members came because they wanted to be part of something smaller. Some of them have been in big companies and wanted to be in smaller. Some have come straight from university and wanted to be, you know, an entrepreneur. The one particular person has had a master's degree. She's been with me since the beginning, uh, you know, in this entrepreneurial journey. And and I say, go to go travel to the States and see what's going on there. So I love sharing my experience with people and I think we've got people who are you know had 30 years experience people who've had three people who've had one I think it's building the team that works together well helping each other learn as well is really important so I need to learn from younger members of the team because I'm not them I'm not in their world I'm not living their life you know I'm not constantly in digital worlds operating 
So I think modern team building and modern business is really a shared experience um, of bringing to the table. But I hope, you know, I hope what you're feeling and what, you know, the team feel is that, you know, we are all, I'm very clear. Some people don't, that can be interpreted different ways, but I'm very clear, I'm very open, I'm very honest. I don't like politics at all, small or big in a company. So I think if you're willing to roll up your sleeves and learn, it's it's a good place to be. But the clarity from the leader, leader on messaging and why you're turning up every day and what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve is key. And quickly resolving things if they're not going in the right direction and, you know, so I think I love every single one of the team. <laughs> We're doing our first team day um, since COVID, actually, because we've got sort of two different little offices where we can come together to enjoy success and share the successes as well as the challenges. Even a small success is a big success when you're a small company. And, and be sure to celebrate those successes as well as challenge yourself to be better every day. Amazing. Well, I'm so glad to be speaking with you today, Michelle. Is there any exciting news about Floral Street you want to share with us? Wow. Well, we are expanding into yet another country. We're going into India in the next couple of months, which is very exciting. Um, So we're now, we'll be in 23 countries. And um, I'm just really excited to be bringing our products to new people and learning, you know, new countries and new ways. So yeah, watch that space. Thanks so much for chatting with me today, Michelle. And it's been so great learning about your career and how Floral Street was built. Thank you for asking me and thanks for sharing and thanks to Shopify for being our partner. That was Michelle Feeney, the founder and CEO of Floral Street. I'm Shwang Esther Shan, and I'll see you next time on Shopify Masters.